Hi, church family. I'm so glad that we have this ability to connect online. We're about to go into one of our messages and I pray it blesses you. If it does, make sure you share it with a friend and, and share the love around. Make sure that you click like or subscribe so that you don't miss any of our messages that we upload weekly. And jump in the chat so that we can connect. Even though it's virtual, let's make sure that we connect. So sit back, enjoy, and I pray that you're inspired and blessed. Uh, my key text today that I'm going to build this message off is found in Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 11. And it says these words, By the blessing of the upright, the city is exalted. But by the blessing that you and I carry in our lives is the city of Brisbane is exalted, is lifted high. Is so often that word uh, in our Western culture, the word blessing, we automatically equate to it is it's God's going to give us wealth and God's going to give us comfort. No, 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 the, the word blessing there is to be made holy, is to be consecrated unto God. And, and yes, he, he is the one that gives us the power, the ability to create wealth. And yes, He is the great comforter of our lives. But God blesses us to make us holy and consecrated that when we make encounter with the world around about us is that we actually change those lives that we come into contact with. And so by the blessing of the upright, the righteous, our city is exalted, is that desire sign of God is that our city is in a better place because you are living in this city. It is at Brisbane, the city of God, as we engage with our next door neighbours and workplaces and universities and schools or wherever God has called you to be, is that we leave our city in a better place after we have touched an individual life is that we have this mission statement as a church that we are here to unmistakably, we've got to leave a mark, unmistakably influence our world for good and also for God, is that God has an incredible heart for cities across the world. And for these next few moments, I'm going to look at the significance of cities in the Word of God. I'm blown away that God has called us together at this specific time in history, in this specific country, in the specific you know, city of Brisbane, that we would come together with a commonality of gifts and talents in order to make our city a better city, to bring the kingdom of God to our great city. I find it remarkable that God's plan for redemption began in a garden and it's going to finish in a city. It's going to be built here back on earth. Is that This city is going to be a city in the new Jerusalem. <laughs> It is that God has got a heart and a plan for cities. In Genesis chapter 11, it says this verse, is that when mankind was moved out of the garden because sin entered the world, Adam and Eve fell, is that the first thing that humanity started to do as they fulfilled the command of God to be fruitful and multiply is that they went out and they established cities. In Genesis chapter 4, it talks about Cain going out, establishing a city, his descendants establishing cities. Is that God has got great plans for cities. And we find this story in Genesis chapter 11, verse 1. It says, Now the whole earth had one language and one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and they had asphalt for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city 
and a tower whose top is into the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, and lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the earth. Is it God had this multifaceted design for cities? Uh, and out of this passage of thought, let me give scripture, let me give you a couple of thoughts. Is that God's ultimate plan for cities would be a place where human potential was, was released? is we find in Genesis chapter 4, as cities are built and established, is that their new things take place. Is that music is invented and music is composed and musical instruments are created, trades are, are, are come about of woodwork and of metal, metal work. Is that God has designed cities that human potential would flourish in those places. Is that God created us not just to be creative, but also to to be productive, to build and to cultivate, to develop, to enlarge, to establish. And God's plan for cities was that humanity would come together in a place of agreement and through the creativity, the gifts and talents inside of them would bring advancement not only to that city, to the world around about them. And that was God's plan. But as sin entered the world, it says here in this passage, is that people went into the cities to make a name for themselves. No longer were they in a place where they're trying to make God's name great, but now cities have become a place of self-glorification, of self-esteeming of a life. And that wasn't God's plan. Is that God does want, God wants his name to be glorified, not our name to be glorified, but a switch took place there. Is that now humanity were trying to get themselves to be the number one position. It was no longer this commonality of agreement where we're going to move forward together and to advance society. Out of this passage is that God's other plan uh, for cities was that cities would always be a place of refuge. And it says here is that they built this city for the sole purpose and reason that they may not be scattered, it says in verse 2 there. See, if you're scattered people, you're a vulnerable people. If you're in a place of isolation, it is that you are vulnerable. But God's plan for cities was to be a place of refuge for the downcast and the brokenhearted. It is that cities were designed to be places of mercy for those that had no power. It is that they were refuge places. It is that there, was a, there was a safety in a community. But then uh, as sin entered the world, as God's plan for cities changed, as we now see the cities were violent places. In Genesis chapter 4, Lamech comes home one day and says to his two wives, he says, you know what, a man hurt me today, so I killed him. A man wounded me today, and so I killed him. And so where God saw cities and God's plan, would they be a, a safe place, a city of refuge, a, like a she-rescue home, as we saw there, not just to provide and to nurture, but to, to bring the gospel of the good news to individual lives. But cities have now become places of violence and places of war. From this passage, it goes on and says that God has designed cities that they would be a place where humanity could encounter him. And we now find ourselves in a place where our cities are places of encounters for many gods. As you looked at the ancient cities of old, is the cities were always built around the tallest structure, the biggest building. And in ancient cities, as those biggest buildings and those tallest buildings were normally places of worship. And the city was built around places of worship. Now you look at our cityscapes in Brisbane even, is a, it, it's built around idol worship. You, you see the tallest buildings you know, in our city uh, for banking and for financing and real estate and superannuation and, and things that we build our gods around. But God's original plan for a city would be a place that you and I could encounter his presence to its absolute fullness. 
And yet now, as we can find other gods in the midst of that, God's plan for every city is that human potential would be realized. But now we find in our cities is that it's exhausting. It's about getting to number one. It's about self-glorification. Is that God designed our cities to be places of refuge, but now they're also places of violence. Our cities were designed to be places where you and I could encounter the fullness, the presence of the one true God, but now they are places where you and I can find so a multitude of God in those places. And here this verse says to us, by the blessing of the upright, our city is exalted. And that, that's what we are designed to do, to go into our cities, go into nations, go across the world and see the transformation of Christ come, that his kingdom would come, his will would be done on earth, as it is in heaven. I see all the way throughout the word of God as that God has sent men and women into different towns and different cities to bring transformation around those towns. And God calls us to do four things within our cities. He calls us to bless our city. Don't, don't curse our city. Would you bless our city? Would you take what God has done in your life, the transformation, to take you from a place of being unholy to a place of being holy, and take the holiness of God into your city day after day after day. Would you bless your city? Don't curse it. Bless it. Not only does God cause us to bless our city, He calls us to love our city. It's to love humanity. As you may not necessarily agree with you, and they may not agree with you, and that's okay. Just love them. Just love. Love regardless. Just love. It goes on. God says to bless and to love, but would you also serve your city. I love that God has placed so many gifts and talents and abilities inside of us and corporately together is that we can go out and make such an incredible, significant difference, but you can also make a difference by yourself with your next door neighbor, with someone in your classroom, in your workplace, is would you just release what God has given you to serve humanity around about you? I, I love the, the mandate of Red Frogs is that we, we serve a generation in order to win a generation. Yeah. And we see through serving a generation, we have seen so many young lives come into the kingdom of God. Why? Because someone simply just served them, yeah. believed in them, yeah. loved them. In the toughest moment of their life, would you serve, expecting nothing back in return? And the fourth thing that God asks us to do within our cities, after we have blessed them and after we've loved them, after we've served them, it gives us the opportunity to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. <laughs> it sets us up. Proclaim the great news of God is that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb, by what Jesus has accomplished, and by the word of our testimony. His lives are changed because of what God has done in your life. Never forget, never forget that God has poured everything. He's given you all everything that pertains to life and to godliness. Would you pour it out? Would you at least just release it? Would you let it flow out of you? I, God has got a great love and a great affection for our city. Is that Jesus? is building a heavenly city because he came and died in an earthly city. And he's calling you and I to populate that heavenly city by giving everything wow. to our city. Wow. I wonder how you could bless them and love them and serve them, proclaim the good news of Jesus. The title of my message is Moving a City. Is that we can move a city. We can impact a city because God has placed something inside of us that we are meant to be here together to change this world for good and for God. I want to share a passage of scripture out of Matthew 21. It's, it's normally a passage that's used around Easter time, but 
as I read this just a few months ago again, it's just some thoughts, incredible thoughts around generosity came uh, in this season. So let me share it with you. Verse 1. It says, Now when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Jesus says you're going to find a big donkey and a little donkey. And he says, Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. This is not giving any of us an excuse today to walk onto somebody's property and just take something and just yell out as you're walking out the door with their TV or their car or whatever it is, the Lord has need of them. It's not, it's not, giving, us, it's not giving us permission to do that, all right? <laughs> um, unless God actually tells you to do it, don't do that. You're going to end up and we'll serve you in prison. Um, but Verse 4. Uh, all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so the disciples went and did. <laughs> you imagine how nervous they are. So Jesus just told them, Go, into that village, they're going to be a big donkey, a little donkey, untie them, bring them to me. Like, I'd be like, I'm going under the, you know, the cover of night. Like, I'm not going to let anyone see me doing this. But they just immediately go and do that. And they brought the big donkey and the little donkey. They laid their clothes on them and set Jesus on them. I always find it remarkable, Scripture, hey, when you read it, and you look at, look at the words closely, they, they set Jesus on them. How, does, how, does, how do you sit on a big donkey and a little donkey at the same time? I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know if he's riding the big donkey's side saddle and he's got his feet up on the little donkey. I don't know how he's coming into this town, but he's set on both of them here. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road, and others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before, and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved. When he came into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who? is this and so the multitude said this is Jesus the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee what an incredible image or picture we get here is the disciples have untied a big donkey and a little donkey they've set Jesus on it and now he is riding into Jerusalem and I get this picture is that humanity is taking off their outer garments and they're throwing it on the road as Jesus is coming into the great city of Jerusalem is that other people are just cutting down tree branches. I don't know if they had council approval back then, but they just cut them down. They threw them on in front of Jesus. There was a crowd in front of him, and there was a crowd behind him. I, I get this picture that Jesus wants to immerse himself in the lives of humanity. He wants to be situated right in the middle of our lives. There's people just around him. Would, would you allow God to be in the middle of your life? in the center of your life, and then humanity is crying out. They are moved, and they're crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna. As Jesus rides into this great city, and they're asking the question, who is this? And the disciples are saying, this is Jesus. This is Jesus. So let me give you some thoughts out of this passage around generosity. I found that generosity is stewardship, not ownership, is that God requires something of us. 
And here he says to his disciples, would you go, I'm requiring these animals, a big donkey and a little donkey, to ride into this great city. In generosity, God will always require something of us. And I found that if you and I can position ourselves in the, in, the, in the lens of being a steward of what God has given us and not an owner, I found that if you and I take ownership of what we have, is we become possessive of the things that God has given to us. We become possessive of the gifts and talents. We become possessive of our time, saying, well, that's mine. But God says, no, 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 it's, it's mine. I've just given it to you. I, I want you to live life not as a dam or a reservoir. I want you to live life as a steward of what I have entrusted to you. Uh, Psalm 24 says it like this in verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. You, you can't argue with that. Is you and I don't own anything is that God has simply put things in our lives and says, would you just be a great steward of what I've entrusted you with? And it goes on, the world and those who dwell therein, is it, he owns it all. And he simply says, I'm going to give it to you because I want you to release it. I want you to live a life as a steward. Someone who owns a big donkey and a little donkey makes them available for God to come in to ride into the city. I find it remarkable (laughs) that the God who made us comes to us and asks us to borrow things that he created. Is that God has put things in your possession. He's saying, you know what, there's going to be a time of time where I want to borrow what I've placed inside of you. And I wonder if you and I will be in the position of freely saying, hey, Lord, just take it, because it's yours anyhow. Is I have found if you and I live with an ownership mentality, is we live life with a closed fist saying, that's mine, I own it. But if you and I live life uh, through the lens of stewardship, is we'll always live life with an open hand, saying, God, hey, if you throw it through me, I'm just going to release it, because I know in your hands... It can have supernatural impact. In my hands, it can just have a natural impact. But in your hands, it's supernatural. I'm encouraging you today, would you just let it go? Would you just let go what God has entrusted to you? Just, Just give it back to him. It's his anyhow. And I know whatever you and I release into the hands of God, it becomes so much more powerful in his hands than in our hands. If God says, hey, I require something of you, I wonder if you just really just let it go. I pray you won't be like me at different times where you have tug of war with God. As you release something and then you want it back, it's like, I want it back now. Like, no, no, don't play tug of war, just let it go. Would you live life as a steward and not as an owner? And it goes on in verse 6 and says, So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. And they brought the donkey and the colt and laid their clothes on them and set Jesus on them. Verse 10, And when he came into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, who is this? Uh, my second thought is that generosity enables Jesus to ride into our city. The generosity of someone who owned a big donkey and a little donkey is that Jesus rides into the city. I, I want to let you know today, your generosity enables Jesus to ride into your home. Your generosity enables Jesus to ride into your street into your university, into your school. What you and I see is that whatever we release out of our hands enables God to do something with. And I've seen time and time again, as humanity just releases something out of their lives, 
is that Jesus' impact just becomes so much greater. I found that generosity makes the invisible visible. Is that generosity makes love, which is invisible, visible. That makes a, a serving visible, makes Jesus visible. I pray that you would allow your generosity to take those things which are invisible to make Jesus visible in there. And so simply through one man's act of generosity, of freely giving to God without even questioning it. It's not in the story here where it even questionable. Well, when's it going to come back? No, no, no. The Lord has need of it, and they just freely release and freely give. I, I have found that as a generosity moves hearts, it wakes up cities, it stirs the city. It says here, the whole city was moved. Asking this question, who is this? Have you ever had people ask you, well, why did you do that for me? So soothing, that music. I don't know where it's coming from, but that was just... That was so lovely. <laughs> if that's someone's whole tone, that's impressive. I would, I would answer that. <laughs> this is really nice. I... But have you ever had someone ask the question, why did, why did you do that? Well, why were you generous to me? And so much of our response, well, it's not about me, it's because Jesus asked me to do that. It's not about for our glory, but the whole city was moved and asking, who is this? <laughs> Simply because someone would give into Jesus' possession a big donkey and a little donkey. I wonder what it is today that you and I could release to see Jesus continue to ride into your home, into your street, into your city. Yeah. Cities around the world, the Ukraine, she rescue home. Wherever there is tragedy take place across the globe i know as a church we respond to that and i want to thank you for that and as the story goes on i find it remarkable that someone who owns a big donkey and a little donkey is written into god's story is that generosity writes you and i into god's story You, you would you would think that it had to be greater than that to be written into the word of god yeah, why just a big donkey and a little donkey being made available for Jesus? Why is that written into the story? Is that, you know what, generosity is always written into God's story. And I believe it is for a couple of reasons. As a humanity is saying, you know what, it's not mine anyhow, it's God's, and so I'm just going to release it for the good of humanity, that our city would be exalted. But generosity just writes us into God's story here. I think of, I think of previous generations that sowed into this facility, 30 years ago, and pastors that have served and people have come through, that we now have the benefit of this because of some generations prior generosity. And how many God stories have come through this building? Your story has been formed in this place. Part of your story formed here because of someone sowed seed some years ago, and now we have the benefit of that. For those in Danielle and the team to go out for red frogs, is a someone 25 years ago sowed a seed, yeah. bought some red frogs, got entryway into a one hotel room that now is right across our, not only our nation, but nations of the world. Yeah. Seen thousands give their lives to Jesus. You have kingdom impact because someone sowed all that time ago and they're written into God's story. I love that. Someone who owns a big donkey and a little donkey. I wonder what you have possession of today that you could release 
into the hands of God that would make a difference. I, I am who I am today because of people, people's generosity. Yeah. A generosity has shaped me and generosity has molded me into the person I am today. People have sowed into my life, not just financially, but with words and with encouragement, with prophecy, with declaration, with hope that you can make it through, is, a, is that we've all been shaped by somebody's generosity. I want to pray for you, young man. I don't know. I just keep looking at you all through this service. I, I just sense, I sense God. I think you're, right now, I don't know, the past season has been a challenging season for you. But I just say, I just see that God is just speaking hope and future over your life. That there's been a dream in your heart as a young man. And you're even saying, I don't know how that's going to come about, but I want to let you know that God, God's going to work on that dream here. And I just see your life's going to impact so many around about you. You might think, how on earth is that going to happen? I don't know how it's going to happen, but I just know, I just sense that God, he just, every time I come over this, like I've got eye contact with you, if I could just preach this message to you, is that God's got so much for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word today. And I pray a blessing over this young man today. And Father, I thank you the dream in his heart that you just breathe the breath of life on it right now. That he will accomplish more than he's even dreamt about. And not for his glory, but for your glory. We give you thanks in your wonderful name. Yeah. Amen. Is that generosity will write us into God's story all the way throughout the word of God. Is that people are written in the story. You see, it's through our generosity and our availability that God writes us into his story. It's, it's when you and I say the right yeses that our story is now weaved into the great story of God. It is a, throughout the word is that there is a, there's a, a widow, it says in Luke 21, it, it says that Jesus looked up and saw all the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw also a certain poor widow putting in two mites, just two coins. And so he said, truly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all. For all these out of their abundance have put in offerings for God. But she, out of her poverty, put in all the livelihood that she had. Her, a widow with two coins is written into God's story. I'm preaching about her thousands of years later. Woven into God's story, Jesus is saying, you know what, she's putting more than everyone else. It was not about the size of the gift, it was about the sacrifice. There's a boy with just a, some loaves and fishes that was just following Jesus one day as a mass crowd was following him, 5,000 men plus women and children. And the disciples are saying, Jesus, just send the crowd away. We've had a long day. The day is wearing us out. And Jesus said, no, feed them. You go and feed them. And they said, well, we don't have anything. We, don't, we just have a boy's lunch here. It's, just, it's an insufficient meal. We, we don't have the resources. We, no shops are open now that we can go and get provisions to feed a crowd as fast as this. And the little boy's lunch, an insufficient meal, a meal for one, ended up feeding thousands on the hillside with leftovers at the end of the day woven, written into God's story. I find it remarkable. Sometimes we think it's just the big things. Well, if we do something big, it's going to be written into God's story. No, 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 no. It's two little coins. It's a few loaves, a few fish. See, whatever you and I have, you put it in the hands of God, and he adds his supernatural to it. A man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea, he owned a tomb. And he just so happened to make that tomb available for the lifeless body of Jesus. Because someone made a tomb available to the life of 
this body of Jesus, as God's plan was always going to be activated on the third day, he's going to walk out of Joseph's tomb. God only had need of it for three days. But he came at full, resurrected life. And now we look at it, the empty tomb gives us great hope for an incredible future. He's not a dead Christ, he's a risen saviour. Joseph is written into God's story. In Luke chapter 7, it says, And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner. Uh, this woman who lived in a city, she's carrying the label of sinner. In this passage, her name's not even mentioned. The sin that she's committed is not even mentioned, but she's a woman of the city. Is that God has a great plan for the city. Is that by the blessing of the upright, our city is exalted. And she finds herself in the city, and she's labeled a sinner. A city that was designed to be a place of refuge, a place of creative potential releasing, a place to encounter God. But in that city, she fell into a lifestyle that now she's labeled a sinner, is that you and I, God has blessed us and God has consecrated us to exalt the city around about us. It says, and when she, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, would you open up your house to God? Would you allow Jesus into your house? Bought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet and, with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. I, I find it remarkable that here this lady, she is a sinner. She's a prostitute of the day. As the city hasn't treated her well. And she takes her tool of trade, this expensive fragrance of perfume. The perfume that she would probably apply to her body every day, that she'd be a sweet smell to humanity that she would engage with. She takes the most expensive possession she owns and she walks in to the Pharisee's house and she just breaks open this perfume and pours it over Jesus' life as a, without invitation. She takes what she has and she just pours it out over his life. I pray that you and I would be a church that without invitation is that we continue to release what we have in our possessions. Is that our generosity weaves us into God's story. Who would ever have thought a prostitute of the day would be woven into God's story as we'd have so many judgments about that and about her life and her lifestyle. But she takes what she had and she just says, you know what, Jesus, the world's labeled me, but right now I'm in a place where I just want to worship you.